0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Life Over Matter. And this is in correlation with the podcast that I have the Life Over Matter podcast. But if you started from the beginning, and you were catching up on the podcast, you'll see that I've read several books on here starting with um, learning from the light, um, learning from the angels, the different um, hospital bed visits, hospice visits and deathbed visits. I just absolutely love that stuff and I've got all these curiosities and things. And then we moved into the direction of the Untethered Soul which did really well with all of the different listeners uh, because it's related to. It's not directly you don't have to listen to the books to understand the podcast. You don't have to listen to the podcast to understand the books. But for what I'm trying to accomplish with myself and my own personal goals in the podcast, the books are something that I reference often. It's stuff stuff that I find useful. And so we read The Untethered Soul. That was great. And then found out that there was a continuation of that book and called Living Untethered, both by Michael A. Singer, who is incredible. And uh, then I started digging a little deeper into the life and talent of Michael A. Singer, and I found The Surrender Experiment, which is another book that he wrote in 2015. Uh, I had... Uh, I had published a sneak peek back in um back in April, the end of April, I uh, published a little sneak peek of this book and I knew that I would be reading it in the summer. And uh, so I'm going to start today and I'm going to read as much as possible, actually. Uh, and uh, not to overwhelm you guys, I know that you guys like those shorter episodes because you listen to it when you're on the fly or sometimes you'll save a bunch of short episodes and then listen to as many as once as you possibly can. But being that this is our third installment, I also have another book that I'm itching to read and it's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Toll. And I've mentioned it in this podcast several times that I've been looking to read it. So we're probably going to power through this reading. Um, I I would say that the biggest favor that I could ask of you is just to try to gain subscribers to the podcast so that I continue performing it and I can continue hosting it. Um, You know, recently it was acquired by uh, Spotify entirely which uh, has a basis for what is allotted to us content creators uh, based on how many subscribers you have. Now, I've been pretty transparent with you guys from the jump that I have not made any money from the podcast whatsoever, but it doesn't bother me at all because it is not what I'm doing it for. Um, absolutely doing it uh, so that I can, you know, Share my experience and then someone else be able to benefit from that uh, in some way, shape or form. That's the p- biggest payment that I could ask for is uh, other people being benefited from, you know, me going through this journey in life and uh, and, and mental health and physical health and understanding subconscious and uh, curiosities that happen within our brains You know, Uh, so, yeah, if you could uh, try to spread the word to get some subscribers on here so I can uh, up the platform, that would be absolutely amazing. Without further ado, though, I'm going to read to you. How's that sound? Um, As much as I can. And then uh, we'll continue this later on. uh, And I hope that you're having an amazing summer so far and uh, that you're enjoying life to its fullest Uh, section one, actually, uh, chapter one, I read you guys section one back in April. Chapter one, not with a shout, but with a whisper. My given name is Michael Allen Singer. From as far back as I can remember, everyone has called me Mickey. I was born May 6, 1947 and lived a fairly ordinary life until the winter of nineteen seventy then something happened to me that was so profound that it forever changed the direction of my life Life life-changing events can be very dramatic and by their very nature disruptive your whole being is headed in one direction physically emotionally and mentally and that direction has all the momentum of your past and all the dreams of your future Then suddenly there's a major earthquake, a terrible sickness, or a chance encounter that totally sweeps you off your feet. If the event is powerful enough to change the focus of your heart and mind, the rest of your life will change in due course. You're literally not the same person in both sides of truly life-changing events. Your interests change. Your goals change. In fact, the underlying purpose of your life changes. It usually takes a very powerful event to turn your head around so far that you never look back, but not always. In the winter of 1970, no such event had happened to me. What happened was so subtle, so faint, that it could easily have passed by without being noticed. It was not with a shout but a whisper that my life was thrown into utter turmoil and transformation. It has been more than 40 years now since that life-changing moment, but I remember it as if it were yesterday. I was sitting on the living room couch in my home in Gainesville, Florida. I was 22 years old and married at the time to a beautiful soul named Shelley. We were both students at the University of Florida where I was doing my graduate work in economics. I was a very astute student, and I was being groomed by the chairman of the economics department to become a college professor. Shelley had a brother, Ronnie, who was a very successful attorney in Chicago. Ronnie and I had become close friends, even though we were from totally different worlds. He was a powerful, wealth-driven, big-city attorney, and I was a 60s-groomed college intellectual hippie. It is worth mentioning just how analytically oriented I was at the time. I had never even taken a philosophy, psychology, or religion course while in college. My electives at school were symbolic logic, advanced calculus and theoretical statistics this made what happened to me all the more amazing ronnie would come down once in a while to visit and we would often just hang out together as it turns out ronnie was sitting on the couch with me on that fateful day in 1970 i don't remember exactly what we were talking about but there had been a lull in our leisurely conversation i noticed i was uncomfortable with the silence and found myself thinking of what to say next I had been in similar situations many times before, but something was quite different about this experience. Instead of simply being uncomfortable and trying to find something to say, I noticed that I was uncomfortable in trying to find something. I noticed, I noticed that I was uncomfortable in trying to find something to say. For the first time in my life, my mind and emotions were something I was watching instead of being. I know that's difficult to put into words. It is. But there was a complete sense of separation between my anxious mind, which was spewing out possible topics to talk about, and me, the one who was simply aware that my mind was doing this. It was like I was suddenly able to remain above my mind and quietly watch the thoughts being created. Believe it or not, that subtle shift in my seat of awareness became a tornado that rearranged my entire life. For a few moments, I just sat there inwardly watching myself trying to fix the awkward silence. But I was not the only one trying to fix it. I was the one quietly watching the activity of my mind and trying to fix it at first there were only a few degrees of separation between me and what I was watching but every second the separation seemed to become greater and greater I was not doing anything to cause a shift I was just sitting there noticing that my sense of me was no longer including the neurotic thought patterns that were passing in front of me this entire process of becoming aware was practically instantaneous It was like when you stare at one of those posters that has a hidden picture on the side, inside, as it appears to be just a circle with line patterns, and then suddenly you see this entire 3D image emerge from what originally looked like chaos. Once you see it, you can't imagine how you couldn't notice it before. It was right there. Such a shift that happened inside of me. It was so obvious. I was in there watching my thoughts and emotions. I had always been in there watching, but I had been too unaware to notice. It was as though I had been so involved in their details that I never saw them as just thoughts and emotions. Within seconds, what previously seemed like important solutions for how to break the uncomfortable silence was now sounding like a neurotic voice talking inside my head, and I watched that voice trying out things to say. The weather's been awesome, hasn't it? Did you hear what Nixon did the other day? Do you want to do something to go out and get something to eat? When I finally did open my mouth to say something, what I said was, have you ever noticed that there's this voice talking inside of your head? Ronnie looked at me a little weird and then a spark lit in his eyes and he said, yes, I I see what you're talking about. Mine never shuts up. I distinctively remember making a joke out of it by asking him what it would be like if he heard someone else's voices talking in there. We laughed and life went on, but not my life. My life didn't just go on. In my life, nothing would ever be the same again. I didn't have to try to maintain its awareness. It was who I was now. It was the being who was watching this incessant flow of thoughts pass through the mind. From the same seat of awareness, I watched the ever-shifting current of emotions pass through the heart. When I showered, I saw what voice had to say while I was supposed to be washing my body. If I was talking to someone... I watched as that voice figured out what to say next. Instead of listening to what the other person was saying, if I went to class, I watched my mind play the game of trying to think ahead of the professor to see if I could figure out where he was going with the lecture. Needless to say, it did not take long before this newly found voice inside my head really started to annoy me. It was like sitting next to someone in a movie theater who never, ever stops talking. As I observed that voice, something deep inside of me just wanted it to shut up. What would it be like if it stopped? I began to yearn for long silences inside. Within days of that first experience, my life's patterns begin to change. When friends came over to socialize, I no longer enjoyed the scene. I wanted to quiet my mind and social activities didn't help. I began to excuse myself and go out in the woods near our house. I'd sit on the ground amid the trees and tell that voice shut up. Of course it didn't work. Nothing seemed to work. I found that I could change the topic it talked about, but I couldn't get it to just stop talking for any length of time. My yearning for inner silence became a passion. I knew what it was like to watch the voice. What I didn't know is what it would be like if the voice totally stopped. And what I never could have imagined was a life-changing journey on which I was about to embark. And then there's chapter two getting to know me I'm gonna take a quick break um just in general not so much for a commercial break but in general I will start chapter two in just a moment hi everyone this is uh number two uh I I had gone on a brief break and it was so great I got something to drink I got something to eat um and as you know I'm reading the uh surrender experiment by Michael A. Singer. So uh without further ado, uh here is chapter two. Even in my youth I loved to figure out how things worked, so it was inevitable that my analytical mind would become fascinated by trying to understand my relationship to the voice inside my head. Before I could enjoy this intellectual fascination, however, I had to get over the fact that the personal mind was driving me crazy. Every time I saw something, that voice made some comment about it. I like it. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with this. This reminds me of, as I became more and more accustomed to watching all this, few questions naturally arose. First, why is this voice talking all the time? If I see something, I'm instantly aware of seeing it. Why does this voice have to tell me that I see it and how I feel about it? Here comes Mary. I don't feel like seeing her today. I hope she doesn't see me. I know what I see and I know what I feel. After all, I'm the one in there seeing and feeling. Why does it have to get vocalized in my mind? Another question that arose was, who am I who keeps noticing all this mental activity? Who am I who can just watch thoughts come up with a complete sense of detachment? I now had two driving forces awaken inside regarding this newly found voice in my head. One was the desire to shut it up, and the other was the pure fascination and yearning to understand what that voice was and where it came from. I mentioned that prior to this inner awakening, my life was pretty ordinary. I only say that in comparison to what my life became. I became a driven human being. I wanted to know about the voice I had discovered, and I wanted to know who I was, the one inside, experiencing all of this. I began to spend hours on end in the graduate school library, but I was not in the economic section. I was in the psychology section. There was no way that the others had not noticed this voice talking inside. Mm-hmm. It was so prevalent that you couldn't miss it. I scanned through Freud, trying to find the answers to my questions. I read book after book, but found no direct reference to the voice talking inside, not to mention any reference to the one who is aware of that voice that is talking. In those days, I would talk about the voice to anyone who would listen. They all must have thought I was crazy. I remember one encounter with my very reserved, highly-cultured Spanish professor. I ran into him one day between classes and excitedly told him that I had come to understand what it meant to be fluent in a language. I explained to him that there was this voice inside your head that talks to you about virtually everything, what you like and dislike, what you're supposed to be doing right now, and what you've done wrong in the past. If that inner voice could speak in Spanish and you could immediately understand what it was saying, then you were fluent in Spanish. If, however, the Spanish words made no sense to you until you did the mental work of translating them so that the voice would repeat them in English, then you were not fluent in Spanish. (laughs) It made perfect sense to me. I told him that if I were majoring in language studies, I would do my doctoral dissertation on that premise. Needless to say, my Spanish professor gave me a very odd look and said something very polite and went on his way. I didn't care what he thought. I was on an exploration, a journey of learning beyond anything I could have imagined. Every day, I was learning so much about myself. I couldn't believe the amount of self-conscious and fear being expressed through that voice. It was so obvious that the person that I was watching inside cared a great deal about what people thought of him. This was especially true of people I knew well. The voice told me what to say and what not to say. I complained incessantly about something when it was not the way that I'd wanted it. If a conversation with a friend ended with the slightest discord or disagreement, the conversation would keep going on inside my head. I would watch the voice wishfully. Imagine how the conversation would have ended on a different note. I could see how much fear of rejection and non-acceptance were being expressed through that mental dialogue. It was overwhelming at times, but I never lost the perspective of watching a voice talking inside. It was obvious it wasn't me. It was something I was watching. Imagine if you woke up one day and a cacophony of noise was all around you. You wanted it to stop, but you had no idea how to stop it. That's the effect the voice was having on me. One thing was perfectly clear that the voice had always talked before but I hadn't been so lost in it that I never noticed it, it as a separate a separate being from me. It was like a fish not knowing it's in water until it gets out. One leap into the air and a fish instantly realizes that there's a body of water down there. And that's where I've always been. But now I see that I can get out. I didn't like the voice of the mind talking all the time. It was like irritating noise that really wanted to stop but it didn't and for now I was stuck with it and as it turns out however I had not even yet begun to fight and we continue with uh, chapter three of the Surrender Experiment by Michael A. Singer it is called The Pillars of Zen months went by And I was still on my own with my inner exploration. Little did I know that help was about to arrive unexpectedly. I had a classmate in my doctoral program named Mark Waldman. He was a bright young man and an avid reader on a broad range of subjects. Like everyone else, Mark had heard me talking about my interest in the voice. One day, he brought me a book he thought might help. The book was entitled Three Pillars of Zen by Philip Keplow. I knew absolutely nothing about Zen Buddhism. I was an intellectual who didn't give religious matters a second thought. I was brought up Jewish, but not very much so. By the time I reached college, religion played no part in my life. If you'd asked me if I was an atheist, I probably would have given you a blank stare. I'd never even thought about it. I started leafing through the pages of the book on Zen and within minutes it became evident. This book was about that voice. My heart practically stopped. I had trouble breathing. This book was clearly about how to stop that voice from talking. Passage after passage spoke about quieting the mind. It used terms like the true self behind the mind. There was no doubt that I had found what I'd been looking for. I knew there had to be others who had gained the perspective of watching the voice of the mind instead of identifying with it not only was there an entire legacy of knowledge spanning thousands of years that dealt with the voice but this book clearly discussed getting out it talked about freeing yourself from the hold of the mind it talked about going beyond needless to say I was in awe I felt a reverence for this book that I had never felt for anything in my life I had been forced to read and study so many books in school. I now had in my hands a book that answered some real questions for me like, who am I that watches that voice talk? These were questions that I passionately wanted to know the answers to. Truth is, it was way beyond want. I needed to know these answers. That voice was driving me crazy. What Three Pillars of Zen had to say was very clear and unequivocal. It said to stop reading, talking, and thinking about your mind and just do the work necessary to quiet it down. The required work was equally unambiguous. Meditate. Before I even knew about meditation, I had tried sitting alone in order to make the voice stop talking, but that had never worked for me. With this book, I was presented and and tried-and-true method that had worked for thousands of others. Simply sit down in a quiet spot, watch your breath go in and out, and mentally repeat the sound mew. That's it. Now do that for an ever-increasing length of time each day. In Zen, the real work was generally done in a group setting called sesen. In traditional settings, a trained person would walk around with a kayasaku stick. If you tried to sleep or lost focus in another manner, you'd get a smack on your shoulders with that stick. Zen was strict. There was no playing around. This form of Zen was serious work. I didn't have a group or a teacher. All I had was the book and a very sincere yearning to see if these practices would take me where I wanted to go. So I started to do Zen meditation on my own. At least it was my best understanding of what Zen meditation is. At first, I sat for 15 or 20 minutes each day. Within a week, I built that to a half an hour, twice a day. There was no fireworks or deep experiences, but concentrating on my breath and the mantra was definitely diverting my awareness from the incessant chatter of the voice. If I made the mental voice stay mew, it couldn't say all the crazy personal things it usually said. I quickly began to like the practice. I looked forward to the times I had put aside during the day for meditation. I was no more than a few weeks into my experiment with Zen meditation when Shelley and I decided to go on a camping trip. We were joined by our friends, and together we drove our vans into the Akala Natural Forest for the weekend. I had a VW camper, so weekend trips were an easy affair. But this trip wouldn't turn out to be just another camping trip. This trip was destined to have a profound impact on the rest of my life. We found a secluded spot in the woods that opened up to a pristine wetland area. Once we situated our vans, we were overcome by the quiet and beauty of the place. It dawned on me that this would be a good place to do some meditation. I was just a novice, but I was very serious about doing the practices and finding out what it would be like if the voice actually stopped. I asked Shelly and our friends if I could spend some time by myself. No one objected, so I meandered down by the grassy lake and found a nice spot to sit. The whole notion of meditating was so meaningful to me that from the start, it was like a sacred experience. I picked a tree to sit under, just like Buddha. Then very dramatically, I told myself, I'm not getting up until I've reached enlightenment. What happened under that tree that day was so powerful that even now, my body shivers and my eyes begin to tear just to think about it. That concludes chapter three. Chapter four. Absolute silence. I crossed my legs in a full lotus position. I knew I wasn't proficient enough to hold that posture for long, but I thought I might as well start with the official meditation position. I straightened my back and neck. I began to concentrate on my breath, expanding and contracting. The Zen book instructed me to make the mew sound way down in my belly, below the belly button. I watched my breath go in and out from way down there. I was intending to sit for much longer than I had done previously, so I used my will to concentrate with extra intensity and sincerity. It must have made a difference because I went deeper inside than I had ever gone before. It seemed that concentrating on the movement of the breath in my belly created a force that linked the outflow of breath from my nostrils with the inner movement of my abdomen. Every time I breathed slowly out my nose, I felt a warm, inviting sensation throughout the area below my belly. The sensation was so nice that my attention naturally centered there. For a period of time, I simply lost myself in the beauty of the experience. Sometime later, the length of which I had no way of telling, the mental voice began talking about how beautiful the experience was and how this must be real meditation. Since my awareness was drawn to that mental voice, it was drawn away from the concentrating on the breath and everything else that goes with meditation. The experience seemed to have run its natural course, and I began to come down to my normal mental state. This meditation session was supposed to be different. I had told myself I wasn't getting up until I had broken through, so I willfully began concentrating anew on the movement of the breath in my belly and the sound of the mew. I lost myself once again in the warm flowing force that tied my exhalations to the warmth in my abdomen. The force became much stronger as I concentrated more deeply. Eventually, all consciousness of my body and my surroundings was gone. I was only aware of the effortless flow of warm energy that was building and expanding at the core of my belly. I was not there. Only the flow was there. From time to time, for brief moments, my sense of awareness would drift back into focus. The instant that that started to happen, I would willfully focus on the feeling of the exhaled breath and the movement of my belly, and instantly I was no longer there. This experience of drifting in and out of the deep state went on for a prolonged period of time, perhaps hours. At some point, I must have lost the will to refocus during one of those moments when self-awareness returned. I had been far gone in a very deep and peaceful place, but I started to come back. I don't know how long I'd actually been sitting, but the first thing I became aware of was the pain in my legs. They'd hurt a great deal from sitting in the full lotus position for too long. The voice of the mind had not started back up yet. I was just there, kind of dazed, but very peaceful and deeply mesmerized by the experience. I suppose I would have continued to come down, but an amazing thing happened. From back behind, where my sense of awareness had been centering, came to a booming voice. It said very sternly, do you or do you not want to know what is beyond you? This was not the voice of the mind. I was so used to struggling with that voice of the mind. Ever since I first noticed that chattering voice, it was talking in front of and below where I sat inside. This new invocation came from behind and above where my sense of awareness was now situated. In any event, its stern challenge shook me up to the depths of my being. I didn't feel the need to answer the question because every drop of me yearned to go deeper. So I took a breath in, then deeply pushed myself into the out-breath, and I was gone. When my sense of self-awareness began to coagulate again, my experience of being was very different from anything that I had ever experienced before. I felt pain in my legs, but they were very far away from the pain and had a warmth and beauty to it. As I regained some awareness of my body, I tried to lean my head a tiny bit forward and nothing moved. It was as though my forehead was pressed against a wall. Something very solid was resting, even the slightest movement of my head forward. I immediately realized that the sheer intensity of my concentration had created a well-defined force that flowed outward from my forehead and curved back to the point in which my lower abdomen had been concentrating. I know this must sound strange, but it felt like a magnetic field that was so strong, I simply could not move against it. This was not the only powerful energy that I was experiencing. I had been sitting in full lotus posture with my hands resting on my crossed feet, in that position, in the whole of my hands and arms, In that position, the whole of my hands, arms, and shoulders formed a closed circle. Now that complete circle had become another one of these force fields. I could neither move forward nor sideways. I was locked in what I can only describe as a perpendicular energy flow. Whenever I breathed out, the flows became more tangible and intense. The entire experience was so completely enthralling that I did not actually regain awareness of my surroundings. I only came down far enough to see that my body was overcome by these energy flows. Then once again, I heard, do you or do not want to know what is beyond you? I immediately took a deep breath and with great intention, slowly exhaled through my nostrils. It was though the outgoing breath pushing against the magnetic force fields created an upward lift. That upward and inward propulsion began to drive me to an even deeper place beyond any sense of self-awareness. One more breath, in and out, and I was completely gone. Perhaps you would like to ask where I went. That's reasonable, but I'm unable to answer that question. I only know that each time I came back, I was in a more elevated state than I was when I left. When I came back from nowhere, the next time, everything was very different. There was no subtle resistance to having returned. There was no sense of urgency to hold on to the elevated state. There was only peace, deep, deep peace. And there was absolute silence, a silence that nothing could possibly disturb. It was so still that perhaps there had never been any sound here for all eternity. It was like outer space where there is no atmosphere, so there can be no sound. Sound requires a medium in which to travel. In the place I returned to, there was no such medium. It was truly experiencing the sound of silence. Most important, there was no voice. There was not even a memory of what it would be like to have chatter in that sacred place. It was gone, all gone. All that was left was awareness of being. I simply existed, nothing more. This time, no stern beckoning entreated me to go beyond. It was time to come back. The first thing I noticed is I became aware of my surroundings and the external energy flows I experienced earlier had drawn inward. I now felt a very beautiful flow of energy at my spine to the middle of my forehead, I had never experienced this before, and almost all of my awareness was drawn to that point. Meanwhile, there was still a great pain in my legs, but that wasn't the problem. It was just the quiet experience of pain. No complaints, no mental dialogue about what to do about it. There was simply awareness, completely at peace with what it was aware of. I managed to move my arms enough to unfold my legs from the lotus position. They were like dead weights, so I lay on my side for a while until they came back to life. It was so peaceful, so comfortable lying there. In time, I opened my eyes. What eased in through those openings was like nothing I had ever seen or dreamt of before. The wetland area before me appeared like a Japanese rice paper painting. It, excluded gen- it exuded gentleness and stillness. The tall grasses swayed in the gentle breeze, but their movement had a stillness about it. Everything was so quiet, so serene. The trees were quiet, the clouds were quiet, the water was quiet. There was absolute stillness in the midst of movement of nature. My body was quiet, and there was no thoughts at all. I could have lain there forever, melting into the peace that surrounded my sense of presence. When I finally got up, the movement of my body was unfamiliar to me. I'd never been a graceful person. I was definitely not the dancing type, but now every movement of my body was like ballet. There was a graceful flow when my arms moved and I really saw the difference when I began to walk. With each step, I could feel every tiny movement of the muscles in my feet. I flowed from one step to the next and movement itself was intoxicating. The amazing part is that this state lasted for weeks. When I rejoined my friends that day, the state didn't change. I felt no need to explain or describe what had happened to me during that two to three hours I was gone. I could hardly talk. Everything was so beautiful and tranquil. The silence, the absolute silence, even the sounds outside did not disturb that stillness. The sounds were out there. but They seemed so far away from where I was seated inside. A moat of a thick piece allowed nothing to reach the citadel of my elevated state. Chapter 5, From Absolute Peace to Absolute Turmoil Shelley and I returned home from the weekend trip, but I could not relate to the life I was coming back to. I had completely changed in a matter of hours. My normal inner state had been transformed into a state of absolute clarity. Neither desire nor fear could touch me in those early days. Even thoughts faded away before reaching my seat of awareness. All I remember experiencing at that time was a powerful, unwavering sense of one-pointed intention. I will never leave this state. No matter what, I will never allow anything to take me from this place. No voice of my mind had to say that to me. It was who I was. I was no longer Mickey Singer. I was the one who would never betray that piece or allow anything to disturb that transcendent stillness. I was like a child having to learn everything all over again. I had to learn to eat in a way that was consistent with that piece. I used to smoke pot. I stopped completely. My state was crystal clear and I didn't want to dull it, not one iota. I had to learn to go to classes and take tests while remaining perfectly centered. I was in a doctoral program on a full fellowship. I had to learn to use my intellectual mind without disturbing that peace, that I now loved more than life itself. During those next few weeks, I felt like I had been born anew. I found myself yearning to go back beyond. In fact, every time I sat down to meditate, I was drawn back to that elevated state. Some veil had been torn aside inside of me, and it was now totally natural to pass back through it. I started waking up at 3 in the morning to be able to do prolonged meditations, Throughout the day, I would sit whenever and wherever I had the opportunity. Only a small part of my life was about my outer existence. What I was really about was learning to stay deep inside while my outer life passed before me, leaving me at peace. I wasn't able to stay that detached for long, however. After two or three weeks the unassailable inner peace began to develop cracks. These cracks allowed the voice of my personal mind to leak back into my sanctuary of silence. I struggled to get it back. Oh, did I struggle. But the struggling itself was inconsistent with the uh, absolute stillness. There was nothing I could do. I had to just sit there, helplessly, watching as the land beyond my dreams gave way to my noisy inner state. It never dawned on me that I could try leaving my outer existence in order to maintain the inner stillness. That effort would come a little bit later. Though my deep inner peace had begun to fade, I never fully returned to my normal state. Even when the personal mind and emotions started back up, I was much further behind them than I used to be there was also another major change. I was now experiencing a constant flow of energy rising up within me to the point between my eyebrows. It had formed a vortex of pressure that had forced my attention to that point. For example, if I was looking at something, it felt like I was concentrating my gaze through my brow rather than through my eyes. This didn't affect my ability to see. It just kept me closer to the meditative state at all times. Note that focusing on the energy flow was not something that I was doing. It was something that was happening by itself. I was just aware of the flow more than I had ever been aware of it before, and now it was always there. The pull of my attention to the point between my eyebrows became both my teacher and my friend. When my mental voice had something to say, I now had a choice. Pay attention to the voice or keep focusing on the inner flow of energy. I eventually realized that if I didn't want to listen to the mental chatter, all I had to do was slightly increase my concentration on the energy flow to my brow. The thoughts would then pass right by pass right by without disturbing me. Letting the thoughts go became a game to me. All of my life was a lighter experience than before. My personal melodrama would still come up, but it could not pull me down into it. I had been... Gifted with this inner flow of energy to help me work my way out of myself. More important, I now knew what it would be like to get away from my personal self. My intention was firm and resolute. No matter what it took or how long it took, I was going to find my way back beyond. It didn't take long, however. Before outer changes began in my life that rivaled the inner changes I was going through, it started with Shelley. One day, she told me that it was time to move on. That really threw me for a loop, though we had only been married a year and a half. The foundation of my personal life had been built around her for years. I tried in vain to hold on to her, but at some point, I saw something I had never been able to see before. The sheer strength of my personality and intellect had not given her the room that she needed to breathe. If I truly loved her, I had to let her go. Right at that time, I had a friend who needed someone to house sit while he was away, I moved into that house and started to begin the process of nursing a broken heart. The sudden change in my outer life had a profound effect on my inner work. I was already totally committed to my regular meditations. Exploring the inner state of deep peace had become the purpose of my life. Now I had another very powerful source of inspiration. I was watching a human being in almost unbearable pain. My heart exuded pain all the time and my mind was literally broken it was as though the foundation of my self-concept had been removed and my personal self was in free fall i didn't know how to put it together again nor did i even want to if i concentrated very deeply during meditation all of the turmoil melted away there was a silence and a peace the silence was not as thick as it had been before but it provided me a place of repose when I came back from meditation, turmoil and pain was what I returned to. So my daily experience was now either heaven or hell. There was nothing in between anymore. My normal way of being was gone. In one fell swoop, who I had been was no more. More and more I chose meditation. It was not just a way of escaping the pain. Meditation gave me a meaning to my life. I was committed to going beyond permanently And the changes in my life were helping me get rid of an entire part of my being that was holding me back. The personality expressing itself through that mental voice was no longer so sure of himself. In fact, he no longer knew which way was up. These outer changes had humbled him. He had thought that he had it all figured out. Well, he was wrong. It was definitely easier to let go of him when he was in pieces. During that stage of my growth, I watched very closely as the self-concept attempted to redefine itself, In place of a married man with a defined career path, my thoughts started to envision myself as a meditator who was seeking a deeper truth. But even in those early days, I didn't want to regain strength based on another mental concept of myself. Whenever I noticed thoughts being stitched together to create a new me, I noticed the chair out from under them. It was very painful, but I was willing to let it all go if it freed me to explore beyond. My friend came back to his house, so I moved out. I didn't care where I lived. I just needed to be alone. My life was pretty simple. I was meditating, doing some yoga, and periodically I would go to class. I had no possessions except my school books, some clothes, and my VW van. I used to take long drives in the countryside surrounding Gainesville. I had once found a beautiful spot in the woods near a neighboring town where there was a small, abandoned lime pit. The pit was filled with crystal-clear blue water, and it was surrounded by nothing but a vast area of scrub oaks and pines. I drove out there, and that's where I lived. I was becoming more and more of a hermit. It was not so much that I was running away from something, I was running into myself. My intention was very clear at all times. I wanted to go back deep inside myself. My problem was that I had no idea what to do with my personal self, a.k.a. Mickey, his very existence who was holding him back from where I yearned to go. If I didn't work at it, the focus of my attention would keep drawing into personal melodrama. That was clearly the opposite direction from where I wanted to go. Mickey was down and out. I wanted to go in and up. In those days, I was certain of one thing. He was the problem, and he had to go. I had become dead serious about getting rid of him, but I had no idea how. Chapter 6, South of the Border The summer of 1971 was approaching, and I would soon be free from classes. I was in my second year of graduate school, and though my attendance had not been that regular, I still managed to maintain my high grades. I was studying just enough to do really well on my final exams and written papers. There was no question about what I was going to do with my summer. More meditation and yoga. The only question was, where would I do it? I was probably the first time in my life that I consciously began to notice a distinct, recurring theme in the events unfolding outside of me. It began when, out of the blue, a classmate asked me if I had ever been down to Mexico. He said it was an interesting place to spend some time, and shortly after, I was in the bookstore and practically tripped over a book about touring Mexico that someone had left on the floor. This started me thinking that maybe I should get away for a while, and maybe Mexico would be a good idea. The final straw was when I went to a gas station to fill up and someone had left a map of Mexico on the top of the pump that I was using. Those were enough signs for me. I decided to go off to Mexico. I didn't know where I was going, Mexico's a pretty big place, but in my state of mind I really, I really didn't care, it made no difference. I would just go and let it unfold. My friends and family were not all that excited about me going off to Mexico alone with no agenda. I got a lot of warnings about banditos and cautions about avoiding strangers. I spoke some classroom Spanish, but just enough to get me in trouble with a little more than that, I headed off to Mexico. My trip took me along the Gulf Coast states and down through Texas. While driving, I would focus on my breath and utter mew in my belly. The last thing in the world that I wanted to do was listen to that voice in my head chatter all day. Each night, I would find a place to pull over in the woods and meditate and go to sleep. At that pace, it took a few days to drive down to north-central Mexico, which was where I ended up. One evening... Deep in rural Mexico, I couldn't find any woods to pull into for the night. I didn't feel comfortable just pulling over on the side of the road, so I didn't know what to do. I ended up driving off-road and climbing one of the more gradual foothills until I reached a glorious vista on the crest of a grassy pasture. There were no fences or houses in sight, so that's where I spent the night. The next morning was breathtaking. A mist floated above the fields, and I could see all the colors of the sunrise. It was so beautiful that I did my morning meditation and yoga postures outside. I went very deep, and an echo of the peace I was seeking overcame my being. I stayed on that grassy hill for many weeks without ever leaving. Each day I increased my periods of meditation and yoga. My mind was quieting down and my heart was starting to breathe again. One morning I was startled by a tapping on the side door of my van. I became very scared. Had the banditos finally found me, or was the owner of the land going to throw me off at gunpoint? Upon opening the door, I found a young boy, about eight years old, standing outside with a container in his hand. Este leche, este mi mama, para el americano, and la colina. I struggled to translate this is from my mother for the American on the hill. I was so moved, and I thanked him so much. Here, I had thought the worst, as usual, and it turned out to be an act of kindness in the middle of nowhere in Mexico. I was gradually learning that life was not as fragile as that voice in my head that would lead me to believe. There were experiences to be had, but only if you were willing to have it. Most important, that it was the first time that I can remember crediting life for the flow of events that had unfolded. After all, I hadn't arranged for the perfect place to pull over and spend a few weeks of meditation in solitude, not to mention to have that kind of visit from that boy, Life had just provided those things to me and I had just followed the flow. I was beginning to see all these experiences as a gift from life.